Welcome back, folks, to episode 53 of the Running Man Self-Regulation Skills and Self-Improvement Project podcast with me, your host, Dr. Armando Dominguez, Ph.D. in health psychology, licensed professional counselor and an adjunct professor at a local community college. And what we're going to be discussing today is a really interesting concept in the sense that uh, most of us, whenever we think about our feelings or our emotions, uh, we tend to identify with them a little strongly. And sometimes whenever we have experiences that uh, are particularly harsh or difficult, we may have intense emotions. But what we have to understand is that emotions shape our belief based on our experiences and sometimes can be something that sets us into a pattern motion of sorts. So what we're going to look at today is extreme emotion, and how that shapes our expectations and our beliefs moving forward. So to start the discussion, what I'd like to point out is that anytime we have an emotion, an emotional experience, it doesn't always have to be a negative. We could be having a good time, having fun, uh, enjoying people's company, jumping in the bouncy house, like I like to say, and having a good old time like a kiddo, or we may be having uh, an intense experience of disappointment or even fear for that matter. But, uh, the fight-flight aspect of it, when we're talking about extreme emotion, where it could be terror, where it could be potential danger, wherever I see myself potentially being harmed or hurt or killed or something like this, that's an extreme experience. We're definitely going to have some really intense emotional quality that drives our body to physically move and get out of the way or get out of the situation if we can. And, and that is fundamentally well known uh, across the psychological social sciences, but also the biological physiological uh, science as well. And uh, these things aren't anything that exists separately, but when we talk about them in their respective disciplines, we tend to separate them in a sense, and uh, it tends to make the arguments useful and in-depth, but maybe a mite sterile. So uh, I always like to make sure that uh, I make the connection from all those realms because they're influences that are continuous, and we as a human are a constellation of those things we study uh, in the disciplines, but uh, also we are always continuously being uh, influenced by our environment as much as we are influencing it. And um, what I'd like to point out is that when we talk about emotion is we're talking about a transient state. This is something that will come and go. Usually when you have the the physiological, hormonal, chemical cocktail, if you will, um, that we have hormone that runs through the body. And it's not just driven by hormone, but also a neurotransmitter and electrochemical response. But whenever we have this happen, roughly we have an experience of emotion that'll last roughly about 8 to 10 seconds. And that does not necessarily mean that we have to act on it, but some of those very quickly, very knee-jerk uh, reaction as a result of our environment or what has happened to us may have come to learn to respond very quickly during the onset or the early onset of these emotions because often if they're in negative intensity, um, negative in experience, interpreted as a negative experience, then we're going to have a fear response going on. We may have some adrenaline going on. And um, we have to know that, that these are going to shape how we perceive things through our eyes, through our ears, through our tactile senses, among other things. And um, that will determine how we may estimate things to be. We believe them to be, this is a functional 
uh, belief that works for us at that point, but they will, in essence, shape what it is that we believe our environment to be. Not unlike the frill lizard that runs on the water, that when it's running, it has the skin on its neck frilled out for something that has simpler vision than what a 3D vision predator uh, would see. It would seem to be occupying more space if you were seeing it from its fierce-looking mouth and the frilled-out neck. It would just look larger. But yet, when it runs from the side, it's just a little skinny lizard running on the water and uh, does not look nearly as fierce, but it definitely is quite the spectacle. So, what we have to understand is that whenever we're in fear response, we may misinterpret things to be bigger than they are, to be more dangerous than they are. But also, we have to understand that we're erring on the side of the possibility that things could be bigger or more dangerous. And therefore, by default, we not only protect, but we may over-respond. We may over-protect. We may over-defend. And we may over-fear, among other things. And this is uh, more so on the negative side of the interpretation. And just as easily... Whenever somebody is experiencing a very positive emotion, we will easily shape and filter what our experience through that positive lens. Hey, I just won $5,000 and that's so exciting. And we have all those fun and juicy pleasure chemicals going through that we really enjoy. It's on the border of orgasmic and loving and kind and generous and all those things that we feel that are all the positives that we wish we had more of. And then we realize, wow, I do have them. Whenever I win, it's so much easier. And uh, the floodgates ha happen to be open at that point, And we're able to unleash all this generous, kind feeling and emotion. And things are not only good, but even things that aren't so good that are happening around me as a result of my state, how I'm feeling, transient, remember, um, tend to be interpreted as less intense less dangerous, less bad. So definitely there are some influences there that occur as a result of my state of body. And now that we've discussed the foundational ideas to what we're moving forward in this discussion with, is that uh, our emotions can and do often shape what it is that we tend to believe in our environment. But it doesn't always come and go. Often, if it's an intense emotion or intense situation, we're talking the social dynamic, maybe there's physical pain, and also maybe even my thoughts and beliefs about it have been shaped. Now we're speaking three realms of this human being that is experiencing, let's say a negative in this case, that will shape my beliefs, but also as a result moving forward, my expectations. I know it can happen within the realm of probability may have been very low, but it happened to me. But the realm of possibility, anything can happen that becomes a potential fuel for fearing the unknown. But if we look at it, I became a, a target. Maybe I was victimized. Maybe it was an accident, but it was painful. And it was horrific, and maybe I didn't like it. But yet, it doesn't happen to too many people, but yet it happened to me. And uh, whenever we think of our individual self in this sense, now that shaped how I walk in my world. That will make me a little more careful when I'm, let's say, about to turn a corner. Maybe I'm a little more apt to be less trusting. Maybe when I trust, there are certain things that must be met, and they may be inordinate expectations. These, these may be unrealistic things, because what happened to me may have been unreasonably unrealistic and rare. So 
depending on the nature of the situation, it could certainly shape how we respond, but also how we feel. On top of the fact that if it impacted our body, what scarred us, injured us, uh, we're going to have a continuous reminder every time we're walking and moving, especially if we wind up breaking a leg or injuring a back or something like this, that will always bring us back to the recall of that event somehow and how it shaped and shifted me and therefore impacted not only how I think, but also how I protect myself moving forward. So how does this apply to self-regulation skills? Well, let me tell you, it applies in a number of areas, but let's look more specifically at if I'm going to live my life after having had an experience, good, bad, and different, I know that I use the negative as an example because it tends to stick a little better. But uh, just to make the point, if we win, let's say, a lottery, we're going to have this expectation of the win could happen again. And then we could possibly develop a process addiction as a result. Well, we continue to buy lottery tickets, maybe to the extreme. Of course, if you won a big lottery, winning and uh, became rich, it'd be minimal <laughs> if you stayed at the same level of buying unless one elevated that to a high level equivalent to the amount of wealth you might have. And uh, you could bankrupt yourself in a very short period of time because the payoff of the in the reward system was much too powerful and it's unrealistic. And we have to realize the reward system isn't a reasonable, rational thing. So what does that have to do with self-regulation? Well, a whole heck of a lot. Because if our hedonic response, our ability to avoid pain gets triggered, we're going to seek those things that will give us that sense of relief of that potential impending doom or demise or danger to this physical body. But also, in the other sense, if we find a way to seek pleasure, as in the use of drugs or alcohol, uh, sex or gambling, we find a way to trip that reward trigger with very little effort. What seems like luck, and it may be a luck of the draw, may seem to be interpreted as skill. I know how to do this. And at some point we realize that the failure is that the, the trigger itself starts to change because if we unload too much of our pleasure chemical, our body starts to automatically move back towards homeostasis. And this is not a conscious process. This is a deep physiological response that wants to keep the body within its normal realm. We want to stay close to that median, towards that middle, towards that everyday mode that we live that keeps us from blowing out our circuits, so to speak, without necessarily going to extremes. But if we have an extreme and then we repeat that and do it again, then our body knows, okay, there's something going wrong. And we can't let out that much neurotransmitter. You're not supposed to feel like you're kissing God. That's not okay. That is an extreme reaction. We have to live within the realm. And it's okay to have fun and have peak experiences. But even those things are not going to be near the amount that an artificial inflection such as a huge lottery winning, a huge gambling win, or the use of a drug, or anything like that that would release unnaturally to an unnatural level in the body, such that the body would somehow allow it to go, and it won't. The body's natural tendency is to seek that balance, that homeostasis. And equally, when we realize that we tend to gravitate towards those things, 
We tend to get shaped by that expectation because of the powerful emotional load. Once again, the beginning of the discussion. So the more intense the emotion, the more apt we are to shape not only what belief, but also how belief is going to shape our expectations, our actions after that, because everything is going to be going through that filter. And that kind of limits us into this argument that I really, really, really like to uh, take apart because when people say patterns don't lie, patterns never lie, in quotes, uh, I take issue with that. And let me tell you why. It's not that it's absolutely incorrect. It's not. In certain realms, it does apply. But patterns of human behavior, humans cannot be perfectly patterned. Do we have pattern behaviors when we become more simple? Well, yes. But whenever we're looking at things, to use as an example is Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the very big base at the bottom of that pyramid is the biological needs. Do you have food? Do you have water? Do you have safety? Are you pain-free? Do you have shelter? Whenever these things are needed, then the social affiliations and stuff are the next level up, wherever those things become more real. But without your ability to breathe and eat and drink, you can't even socialize. So without the bottom bricks of that foundation, self-realization or peak experience or improvement can't happen to a degree in increments. But often it's very short-lived because we get pulled down by that biological need. And this is something that extremes such as drugs uh, will trick the body into thinking it's getting. And the other areas in the biological need area fall apart once health suffers. So we become less apt to maintain that stability. And therefore, the higher level expectations and self-realization tend to fall apart without that foundation. So when we get to the point wherever we are physically struggling, that is when we start seeing this adage of patterns never lie. And um, I distinctly defy that in this sense, in that uh, people can act in a certain way. And if you're believing to act a certain way, understand that they can just as easily not. Uh, and Or they can be intentionally trying to throw you off. Uh, usually how I walk about paying attention to folks, and this isn't being rude, but just in a very practical sense, don't believe what people tell you and believe what they do. I usually step this up in the sense, in a very practical sense, don't believe what they say and only half of what they do because patterns do lie and they can lie if the person's intention to act in a certain way was to lie or to be deceitful. So there's always that potential. And this is very much a principle of Sun Tzu's Art of War. Uh, also, um, something that out of the Book of Five Rings from Yamoto Musashi, you recognize that there is a veneer of social interaction. And sometimes to get what we need, the basic biological needs in the Maslow sense or the self-realization or feelings of validation, that sometimes we'll do what we need to do to get those things. Whenever we're looking at an extreme emotional experience causing someone to act within a very predictable pattern way, we recognize that that stems from a very survival level orientation, a very survival level thought process and feelings that pop up 
But among other things, they're trying to avoid hedonically the discomfort, hedonically the avoidance of potential pain or the return of that thing that these emotions seem similar to whenever this experience happened to them. So definitely an expectation of harm could be happening and that'll shape the behavior. So if we were to see people and observe people, we have to understand that those things not only shape behavior, negative emotions, extreme emotions, but also how we believe and therefore move through our world. So whenever we're looking at higher performance and doing things along the lines of self-regulatory skills, what we have to do is be able to recognize what is a physical state, what is a belief, where does it start, and be willing. And I don't like using this term, letting go, because that's become such a cliche thing, but being willing to recognize that sometimes our attachment to the feelings and beliefs that we have come as a result of them having served us somehow to protect us or have arisen out of a need to be protected and therefore a fear of loss. And if we understand what that is and understand that we may not go back into that event again because we're, we know now, we learned the lesson, then we can use that as a jumping point to shape once again what it is that I want to respond like without necessarily having to lose the lesson and become vulnerable again, but also allow us to flower and brachiate and have more options and more openings moving forward, which is the idea so we can become more flexible in response by default because we're able to see further in a panoramic sense versus the the myopic, truly tunnel vision under stress sense. And there is definitely a reflective um, mind shift there Reflective in the sense that it reflects how our vision capacity is at the physiological level. The more relaxed we are, the wider we can see. And the more of our periphery we see without having to turn our eyes to the left and right, without having to turn our head. And the more focused we are, we tend to also leave out details that are very pertinent and useful to us. So, how do I shape my beliefs? Versus having my environment shaped and form me based on the past. One is become aware of the fact that there are things that drive me from fear. There are things that I had learned as a result of really extreme emotions that may have given me a perspective, a way of looking at things that is based on how I perceive things through my eyes and my touch and my body, for instance, during an experience that shaped what my expectations were and what my predictive mechanisms in my mind became that may be narrowed what I was able to do and maybe even limited what I wanted to do because it made me afraid, maybe taking a risk or trying to do something that was interesting, but I just didn't want to look bad or I was afraid because, for instance, maybe my parents wouldn't approve or I grew up in an area wherever people didn't do that, they didn't believe in this. Notice those are assumptions and beliefs that even shape our expectations and predictions moving forward that maybe we assumed by being in a certain locale, a certain school, being around certain people. And whenever they say that, that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, and now even the five influencers that you listen to most, then we have to look at, well, does this serve me? And I want what other people are doing and how are they getting it and maybe willing to 
maybe even be a little embarrassed. That's okay. Ego, our idea of a self, it doesn't exist. It's merely an idea that we have. And it is equally as transient, probably even more so, and a little more quicksilver than even what our emotional cascade is physically moving through our body, the hormonal response, whenever we have experiences. So that is very malleable, but also quite shapeable, but also something that we can believe into over time if it is what it is in the sense of it being a mind shift belief that can guide and shape how we are over time. I used to believe that I couldn't do things because I came from a certain area, for instance. So therefore, I was afraid of trying. I was a very humble kid, but I limited myself. No one told me to do that. My parents didn't tell me to try, but seeing them struggle sometimes uh, as a result of the time that they were young, fighting the ends of what we were calling the, the civil rights movement impacts during the late 60s and early 70s, and still trying to give us an opportunity to educate ourselves and become better citizens. But one of the things that they kind of implied is that we kind of hide our light under a basket, don't draw too much attention, just do your business, keep your nose clean and keep going. And in some cases, that served very well. In others, it limited me. I certainly don't harbor ill will, but those are the principles that they didn't tell me not to try or do my best, but I assumed them to be that way. So we have to be willing to question, well, where did I get my values and not get mad at where we got them or upset and try to place blame, but rather realize that we're just as much an agent or an actor in what shapes us. It doesn't matter when you took those on, but what does matter is what you're doing now. Because you're responsible for your life moving forward. And the rationale and reasoning comes down to this. If you're a human being and an actor in your own life and you want things that are important to you, who's going to give them to you? Well, they're probably not going to be given to you at all. But can you acquire them? Can you win them? Can you earn them? And if by your effort they can be had, then why don't you? I'm encouraging you here. Shape your beliefs. Shape your mind. Leaving fear behind is a hard thing to do. Not really. It's the memories of the fear that are hard to leave behind. The fear doesn't exist except in a moment of experience. And we can't ever relive it. PTSD and dysphoric recall are not reliving. They are re-remembering and ruminating. And then our brain at that level that brings up the picture compels itself to respond as if because we don't want to hurt like that again. And that's not happening at the rational, reasonable level. It's a reactive state. It's also our believer that sees that. So don't you want to use your believer to do something for you, to improve yourself, to grow and become and enhance and do the things that you want to do most? This is my encouragement to you. Self-regulation skills are about Self-improvement. You want to improve yourself? There are certain things we have to regulate. That's not self-control. That's not denying yourself. And it's definitely not binding or bonding to something that's unhealthy, but rather allowing yourself to flow and be more flexible in response, become better, more adapted, so that we can evolve, so we can grow. Well, that's all I have to share for today. It's been a lot in a little bit. 
And I apologize for my voice. I've been staving off a cold for about a week and I sound kind of snorky today. I apologize. That is my term and <laughs> not copyrighted. Mind you, you want to share it? You go ahead. But, uh, if you want to share this podcast, please do follow, like, and share. And uh, we're also available on YouTube as an audio podcast. And please go there and like my audio offerings. They are these uh, podcasts that I'm setting. There's no different content. It's just another platform. But if it's easier, more accessible, it's available there. Please use it and share it with people as well. And uh, I want to tell you thank you for your time. I'm glad I had a chance to talk to you today. And we're back in the saddle talking again. And hopefully we'll talk soon. Take care. Best of luck in your endeavors. Shape those beliefs to better yourself. Walk well.